You're listening to K&J Recaps. Okay, hi everybody. We are back with episode six of Stranger Things. This is K&J Recaps. I am Jess. I am Kim. Yay. And um, we are here recapping the Netflix original series, Stranger Things. That's been the hit of the summer, even though we are at the end of the summer <laughs> now. Oh, my God. Say it isn't so. <laughs> and heading into the fall. <laughs> we will. Luckily, there's only two episodes left that's after right. this one. So I'm confident that we will finish this recapping before the actual end of summer. Um but uh, as we've mentioned before, certainly hopefully you've listened to some of our past episodes, we do recap uh, in extensive detail uh, scene by scene. So if you have not had a chance to watch it, this is your spoiler alert that you probably want to go through the experience of seeing this stuff happen live and then hopefully come back here and listen to us chat about what our thoughts and theories are, of which there are plenty. So I encourage you to come back. Always. That's right. And if this was news to you, it means that you have not listened to our first five podcasts. So go ahead and start at the beginning. Listen to all of our podcasts. You know what? Go Just go back and download and those. And go You'll love it. hear those theories. Because I really feel like, I mean, first of all, there's more theories that get f- fulfilled here in episode six. Uh, so it's important to have listened to the past episodes to understand that those theories exist. That's true. And also many, many theories that do not come to pass. <laughs> or like, I also really noticed that sometimes they pay off in like the tiniest way possible. So like, where we had like epic plans for something, I feel like it gets like, it does get referred back to, but in like a very tiny, almost throw off way again. And we're like, oh, we knew that was going to come back. Like, seriously. Yeah. <laughs> right. We, we had this really like epic idea. Maybe we just need to dial it dial it back just a little bit. Well, I'm still amazed every time all these things but, come back, though, Kim, because you have called them. Yes. Mm-hmm. Oh, you too. I feel like our theories are on point. <laughs> We're pretty much writing Stranger Things season two. Just like after the fact, yeah. Each episode, but. I feel like actually, so just like quick note to our listeners that we are going to be doing future shows as well. And let me just tell you that if you have listened to this show and you have been impressed by the many theories that we have gotten right, because we have gotten quite a few right, Jess. Um, yeah. No other TV show that I have watched I'm ever right about anything. <laughs> so I'm just going to revel in this and then let it go. Once we get to Walking Dead, I'm always, always wrong. So. Well, I was just going to, and we're, we're joining into some pretty epically huge fandoms too, by specifically The Walking Dead. So um, it is harder to turn away from, you know, obviously we're going to be podcasting on a much more timely basis with that one but you know it's gonna be impossible to ignore other people's theories and then it's also gonna be just amazing to hear the podcast that i listen to about you know the show and what their theories are and how different they are and who's payoff because i i do find if i go back and listen to past podcasts i'm like wow that was epically wrong that <laughs> prediction and now i shall be in the same same boat so so yes yes so more to come more to come So we will dive into episode six, The Monster. The Monster. 
Um, okay, so like as as is the uh, the case with most, if not all, Stranger Things episodes thus far, we pick up exactly where we left off, which is um, Jonathan and Nancy in the woods. Nancy has gone through this portal um, in the tree trunk, uh, so she is in the upside down, and Jonathan is looking for her, and they're calling to each other, and they can hear each other, but they sound like really distant and echoey. Um, so definitely like there's some connection there. We saw it earlier, like Joyce was able to hear Will, um, you know, over the phone or whatever. So some contact can be made from the other side. Um, so Nancy sees the monster and she screams and Jonathan like runs towards the, her, her scream and he sees the portal in the tree trunk. Um, and so like, he like looks closer and you can like, Nancy can see his flashlight through the hole in the tree trunk. Um, but on a, like, on a quick side note, did we not see the tree trunk close at yeah, the end of I, last episode? Yeah. I, so I read this as a different tree trunk, but I, I was confused by this too. And I was going to ask you, like, is this how you, I did, is this how you thought this scene would get resolved? Cause I was not thinking that this is how, what would happen in this opening scene. No, it is not. Like, I I thought, you know, like, we ended last episode. Nancy is stuck in there. The portal has closed. It's just a tree trunk again. How is she going to get out? And then I was obviously kind of, like, you know, going off in all of these scenarios. Like, she's stuck in there. Is she going to go find Will? Is she yeah. going to go back to the equivalent of Steve's house? Because that's where she last saw Barbara. And, you know, none of that... None of that panned out. <laughs> no, but before the next credits, she's out and back into That's right. the land of Hawkins. So, and, yeah. So yeah. Jonathan flashes his light through it. Nancy sees the flash of light on the other side. Next, we see a hand come through. It's Nancy's. Jonathan pulls her out. And bada boom, bada bing. She is out of the upside down. And then, and then we see yes. the portal close like it did at the end of last, where the last episode, where then it's just, just a tree trunk again. So, like, I definitely have a lingering yeah. question about, like, what are the circumstances under which the portal, the entrance will open? Yeah. Well, we had talked last episode about whether yeah. the monster is able to open yeah. the portal, right? And, right. like, whether it is causing it. And I would say no <laughs> from this, like, this scene because I'm like, if he's or it or whatever is causing this, then, first of all, like – it doesn't seem to be chasing Nancy at the moment where she goes through the tree because they come through and they kind of lie there for a couple seconds before it closes back up. So it's like she managed to get away from it without it realizing. Um, and then like wouldn't have come through. It would have come with her looking for this like fresh meat that she and Jonathan are like. So I really feel like it's it's something that's happening around the monster, too. And the monster's not 100 percent sure where they are or when they're opening. Does that make it, sense? Yeah, it does. But I I don't know. Like. Um, I guess I'm not fully satisfied with anything that we're kind of coming up with here. Like, honestly, I don't know that I'll be satisfied until they yeah. actually show me exactly <laughs> if they do, in fact, show us. If they do. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, I mean, uh, I mean, I think that the portal has to be, um, you know, in that particular area whether it's that exact same tree trunk or whatever the thing that brought jonathan and nancy to that area was the fact that will was taken from there barb was taken from there the sightings are all around the same place so if the portal can just sort of like kind of pop up wherever then 
it wouldn't necessarily result in the monster always coming out in this, around the same space. Right, but didn't it seem like, like, so I kind of, so the to me, I guess the portal isn't continually open from that place in the woods. It's like it opens right behind Barb or it like opened in the uh, shed or like that there's multiple <gasps> of them and they're kind of like I opening see. and closing at random. Yes. You are a genius because, of course, how <laughs> like how did that monster get behind Will in the shed? Right. Because there was a GD oh. portal there. <laughs> of course. <sighs> so like. But it's like if he can control them, then, you know, I don't think Nancy would have been able to escape back through it. Or maybe he doesn't, doesn't, it doesn't always know where they are. I don't know. I don't know. And then another random question is really like. There has to be other living things in the Upside Down other than this monster. Because it's a predator, it stole right. the deer to feed on it. So before the portal existed, yeah. like, there's got to be something else in there. That was just kind of a thro- throwaway, but... Yeah, I agree. Like, it does seem strange that there does seem to only be one monster. Because it does not never appears in mo- multiple places at the same time. And then... For a dead world, yeah, how has it been surviving? Although in the scene we get of it much later, it seems to be eating something in that world of black purgatory place as well. Yes, that is true. Um, So, yep, so Nancy is is back in the right side up and then credits. That's right. So, yeah, quick... Quick pre-credits scene yes, this time. Yeah. This is what they've been in the past, uh, where they've been quite lengthy. But yeah, but definitely, obviously, dramatic. Um, so we move forward from there, and I have Steve and his douchey friends, who are named Carol and Tommy. Oh, are they are just <laughs> the, worst. the worst. The plain worst. <laughs> Still dicks, those friends. Um, so Steve is driving his BMW, Um to Nancy's house because he is finally worried about Nancy and they're like teasing him about that because you know there's only like kids and hunters going missing like crazy in their small town so how dare he be concerned but seriously like didn't you get the impression though or maybe I'm just filling in my own blanks that the thing that finally made Steve concerned about Nancy wasn't that his friend went missing it was that she turned yeah absolutely I totally agree (laughs) agreed and like even this worry about her is so ungenuine yeah. to me, disingenuine. Like it, uh, it's still all about him. Um, and yeah, the fact that he even that those people are his friends, I think, just indicates such so much about Steve's character. Um, so he does that same thing where he climbs outside of Nancy's window, going up on her house um, to knock on her window. And when he looks in, she's sitting on her bed and Jonathan's there and he's got an arm around her and he's comforting her. And obviously he takes it as if they are romantic. And that's all we see at that time. But this scene will be important later. Yes, more dickishness yeah. to come. Um, that's right. Which I just like, I... I mean, we've talked about, you know, Jonathan versus Steve and Nancy. I just like, yeah, I doesn't even matter if it were romantic. Like there's nothing official between you guys and she's her own person and you're an asshole. And yeah, that is all. And that is all. Yeah. Except your dickishness, Steve. Nancy doesn't like you anymore. God. um okay so joyce and hopper they're still at joyce's after hopper did his whole like you know 
shows up with the note saying don't say anything and checks the whole place for bugs so they're sitting at the at the table and and she says take me through the story again so he like describes obviously for the second time at least that what he saw in the lab he saw a kid's room it looked more like a prison and she asks how he knows it was a kid's room and he says it's because of this drawing that he saw on the wall and he describes it as like stick figures so joyce pulls out the the drawing of the wise wizard that um, Will had done in a previous episode and shows that it's like really advanced. He's obviously like a skilled artist, especially for his age. So she concludes that could not have been Will's room if the stick figures were on the wall because, you know, that wouldn't have been Will's drawing. So Hopper realizes that the night that Benny died, there was a kid in the restaurant and he, he kind of pushed to you know to get the guy to say it might be will and he realizes maybe it wasn't and that he's been maybe chasing the wrong trail the whole time he remembers that like terry ives which was the you know like the former test subject from one of dr brenner's old um like studies she accused him of stealing her daughter Mm -hmm. so he's putting the he's putting the pieces together in this scene for sure yes yes this is a big payoff scene in terms of all of the threads coming together. Yes. Like, yes. Hopper is <laughs> on a roll. Yeah. Now, so I feel like super stupid watching this, but I had not, and I can't remember why. I should go back and listen to my own podcast. But I had not thought that that Eleven could be that kid of Terry Ives. And I don't know why. Like, I don't know if I just assumed that in my head or if I thought the timeline didn't work or if I thought there's like a million kids like this, which I think I did think much earlier. I was like, okay, like the reason her name is Eleven is because there's been one through 10, um, which maybe there was, but yeah, I didn't, I wasn't thinking of that, it that being that connected, which I think now obviously it is. Yeah, for sure. I definitely think that it is. Um, I, I, I do think that my mind went there to think of 11 when I heard about the abducted child, but I mean, like yeah. even then, I don't even know if I, if I thought that it was 11 specifically, because you're right. I assumed that the name 11 was because she was the 11th child. So I didn't automatically assume that Terry Ives' specific child would have been 11 because in my right. mind, like in yours, there was probably 10 of those prison-like kid rooms, you know, all filled with kids yeah. that were stolen or whatever. And that really did make me think actually in this episode when I realized when it, they made it clear that Terry Ives' abducted child is 11, that I'm like, what does the name 11 mean? Is, is, yeah. I know, because it's, it's it's certainly not Dr. Brenner's loving naming convention. That's right. Where he's like, you shall be called 11. 11. Not because My of numbers. My favorite number. Yeah. Um, well, maybe there was attempts 1 through 10, and they were just like yeah. epic failures. And he's but like, I think that 11 is the only child for reasons that like I can circle back to at a later scene in this, in this episode. But like, so I was thinking that maybe 1 through 10 was like Terry Ives and her other initial test subjects and okay yeah yeah and that um 11 is essentially the 11th test subject but not having been born with a name mm. other than 11 you know what i mean doing the, but yeah like, like lsd stuff but yeah so i can come back to that when we get to that scene but like i really think that 11 is the only one okay so yeah definitely lots of payoff there in terms of like him just realizing 
I don't know. I just really like how quickly Hopper puts it together. And I really like Hopper and Joyce together throughout this entire episode. Really, Me too. Like, it's like talking on the level with each other. Nobody's suspicious that the other suspects them or thinks they're crazy. It's just like getting shit done, these two. Exactly. And I do really, I really appreciate this brand of storytelling as a viewer. Because, I mean, I think that we've talked about it in previous episodes. But like, I find it really tiresome when they yes. really draw out things in terms of the storytelling that the viewer already knows to be true. And that it's like yeah. frustrating as a viewer when you're watching them have it to, having to convince people and having to, you know, I don't know, like come to terms with the truth themselves and whatever, when you already know that it's true and you just want them to get on with it. So I love that it's just like, all right, well, here's all the pieces. Let's put them together and now move on. Agreed. Yeah. I do think like the eight episode story arc has forced them to be quite concise in their storytelling in most ways. Like you said it, I think last episode, there is very little that is throwaway. Everything is referenced or presented for a reason Mm -hmm. and you see it again and you're absolutely right. And then you get very little of that like, oh, there's a misunderstanding here. Like I, you know, and of course, I think by the end of this episode, we're set up for an even greater convergence of like the major players here um, in terms of who knows what and and being in each other's kind of space even more. But um, it is really nice to just be like, yep, nope, these two agree. There is no need for doubt anymore. Let's just move them forward and start solving. Yeah. So we move forward from there to um, Nancy having a shower. She's back at her house. And obviously she's just extremely traumatized, which is very understandable. I like Nancy more and more as the um, show goes on. And I certainly understand, yeah, where this is coming from. So uh, we already know that Jonathan's there because, of course, Steve just saw them. But um, he's still there and he's setting out a little, little, like, sleeping bag thing to sleep at the foot of her bed. Um, and like, yeah, Jonathan just is awesome. So he's going to sleep with the gun, which I was like, "Mm, maybe that's not the greatest idea. (laughs) (laughs) But, um, Nancy doesn't let him stay at the bottom of the bed very long. She's obviously just like really scared. Like there's no really romantic tension here. Just, I think, I think both characters portray the fear really well. And she's like, can you just come up here? Agreed. And, uh, you know, and I also... I think that they did a really good job um, when Nancy was in the shower with the flashbacks, like showing her trauma. Like, you know, even though I didn't find the scene particularly scary when I was watching it, obviously there was a lot of tension when she was in the upside down and the the creature was there. But it was like in these flashes that they, you know, like that they show while she's in the shower, I think they did such a great job of like showing her perspective where like this was an enormously traumatizing event totally agree and i think it's a really good Mm -hmm. way of just setting up how brave she's about to be because she's going to suggest they try and figure it out to get barb and will back and to see you know remind us again of how scary it was to set that up before she's going to make that decision i think is really important to like appreciate you know nancy even more um so jonathan's trying to be reassuring and he says uh it can't get us in here and she answers with we don't know that which of course she's right like what are you talking about jonathan you suddenly know like the monster rules like what this thing like it pretty much teleports you saw a tree trunk (laughs) close up as like a portal like what do you mean it can't get us in here i mean it was good effort jonathan it was a good effort but nobody's buying it 
Like, you know the police think Will was, like, taken from the shed. I just, yeah. Don't listen. Good for you, Nancy. Do not trust the guys in this show to just know everything here because yeah. that is a foolish recommendation. But, <laughs> Although, yeah. to be fair, I mean, I guess you can't really do anything about it. If the monster can, like, just go through a portal in your own bedroom, I would never <laughs> sleep again. <laughs> so at least John- right. Jonathan's being sweet, but a little naive. Yeah, but he does get sleep. So maybe it's like a smart response in terms of like, he's like, I'm just going to think that it can't come in here and therefore I'm going to get some rest. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, it's like laying in your bed um, and you've got like one hand out from under the covers and you're like, oh God, that's, I'm exposed. you know, yeah. it's I'm exposed. It's prime for the boogeyman. <laughs> as long as my whole body is covered. <laughs> I'm safe. Yeah. That's right. Um, okay, so uh, Mike's in his basement. He's uh, This is a quick scene where he just looks o- over at the empty fort where Eleven would have been. But of course, she uh, she did not come back with Mike after the big blowout at the end of the last episode. So he angrily rips down the blanket fort that has been Eleven's home for the past several days. And then another really quick scene after that where um, Hopper's at a payphone and he's getting contact for Terry Ives um, from a from a friend. So he's obviously calling in a favor, probably from another police officer. And then uh, Joyce is waiting for him in the car and the two of them drive off, presumably to find to find Terry Ives. So a quip- couple of quick scenes there. Setting up what That's is right. to come. Um, so then we get a continuation of what we've already kind of talked about, which is that Jonathan wakes up the next morning because he has slept because he foolishly thinks the monster <laughs> can't get in. Um, Nancy's yeah. been up and she is doing animal research, which is really I like how the like logic fits together here. So um, she's, you know, figured out that the place where she was, the upside down, is where the monster lives. I think we would agree with her. It lives in that place. Um And then she just kind of does like a series of um, deductions here. So she's saying that it's a predator because it was, um, I mean, eating the deer and like looking for them and stuff like that. Um, And that it hunts at night, like certain animals, but not in a pack. Like I think she has like lion and another um, example. Yeah. And then she's like, um, but it hunts alone, like a bear. And then she connects that um, blood is present every time. So Barb had cut her hand. Um, and quite badly, obviously, and she was sitting on the diving board. The deer obviously had a lot of, um, blood. So she's suspecting that it has, like, the ability to detect blood similar to a shark, which can detect it in lots of water. So, um, this is kind of, what do you think of her zoology in terms of defining what the monster can or can't do? I thought that it was brilliant, like, you know, just to kind of focus on the facts that they know. I mean, like... I feel like if I were in that situation, I would just have lost my shit to the extent that I can't kind of rationalize this like supernatural type monster that I've encountered. But she's just like, okay, what do we know about this thing? And we know that, it, you know, they've all been taken at night or um, seen at night. It's been alone every time. There wasn't blood when Will was taken, I don't think. I was trying to remember that too, and I don't think so either like there's no like he, they don't show him cutting himself while he's running through the house well even then the monster saw him first so right. so that must be like i mean whereas with the deer or with barb it could have been seeking them out from the blood right. but with will right. i mean essentially he stumbles across him in the middle of the street but that right. is like you know that would fall in line with the fact that it 
doesn't have eyes, right? And like right. Sharks, and also, oh, oh I was sorry. just gonna say like I don't know much about sharks, but I don't think that sharks have great vision. Like they rely on their s- smell, smell, right? Yeah. So that that might be. Which could be why Will is still alive, <gasps> okay, whereas yes. Barb is hypothetically no longer. Alive. But with every episode that, pa- yeah, with every episode that passes, I feel like it's less and less likely that Barb is alive. I know that this is a very sad theory that we don't like to talk about, mm-hmm. but like Will is doing a really good job of hiding, and if Will does not smell like blood, although no word from Will again this episode, not that they were like in that like zone, but. Um, yeah, I really like this too. And I was thinking like, it's, it'll be really cool if by the end, everybody converges and is like co, I don't know if that's where it's going or not, but like Joyce is just based exclusively off heart and the gut feeling that her son is out there and that he is trying to communicate with her and everything she's doing is just based off of that. Like that's her whole, um, you know, logic behind it. And she's just continually trying to like feed that theory. And she is with like the light bulbs and stuff. And then the boys, um, Everything there is just a continuation of the worlds they already like to live in. Like, obviously, they live in these, like, sci-fi worlds of Dungeons and Dragons and other games. And so everything to them is explained in that context. And, like, that's how they understand it. And then, like, Nancy, who's super academic, like, she spends all night researching it through books and tries to liken it to, like, whatever animals she can possibly find. Because that's the world that, like, she understands it in the best. And I think it's, like, everybody is bringing, like, this piece of it. That's such a great observation. um, Yes, that's so true. You're right. Like, the different ways that each of these groups is like approaching this problem slash adventure that they're on with you know what I mean it's like that's right they a hundred percent are bringing their you know personalities and their view of the world to the way that they're approaching this like crazy you know scenario that they find themselves in that's a really great um observation thank you and yeah we're seeing with with Hopper and Joyce because those are two very different characters because Hopper is on like law enforcement you know conspiracy theory warpath that is completely converged with Joyce's like seemingly crazy my boys in another dimension and yet here they are because like if you if you you know if you think about it there is a scene later in this episode where their two worlds collide somewhat but like up to up to this point even though Mm. they're both on the same page and Hopper knows that Joyce has been right about it not being Will's body etc they're still approaching it from really different places we have Hopper on the left who essentially is looking at this in a relatively like you know logical real world sense where this is a government conspiracy they have potentially kidnapped children or whatever the body was not a real body you know all of those things can be explained in our real world and then we have Joyce who's like I'm seeing monsters coming through the walls I'm talking to my child through Christmas lights etc although they're both on the same team and they're both really not questioning what the other has you know has told them to be true. I, I, you know, I still think that at this point, at least, they're approaching it from two entirely different realms. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. Yeah, and it is really interesting to get this this episode of them working together, for yeah. sure, because yeah, you're for right. Sure. It has not, um, they're, they have mutually shared end goals, but where they're coming from is completely different still. Yeah. So just to wrap that up, they um, decide they're going to test Nancy's theory, um, which is what I was kind of referencing earlier. So like they're going to try and figure out if blood does draw it. They want to go back. They want to find Barb and Will still. 
Um, and then Karen scares the crap out of them by yeah. trying to just open Nancy's door. Um, no knocking. Which That's right. Which I thought too. I was like, this woman doesn't even knock. And then Jonathan makes that joke, which is like super cute. And then, yeah, Nancy says that she'll be right down, which is false. But anyway, we'll get to that. <laughs> Not true. Um, yeah, right. Okay. So we see the same woman who we saw earlier. We know her now as being, you know, one of Dr. Brenner's. Evil. evil team members from the lab. Mr. Clark. Oh, I Mr. Know. Clark. I am convinced, though, that Mr. Clark came out of this unscathed. Um, but <laughs> I think so. Um, too, yeah. So this like very, you know, like lovely looking woman who posed earlier in the season as a social worker with Benny. Um, she comes to yep. the door, um, Mr. Clark's door, posing as a representative from like an audiovisual association. Um, and she tells Mr. Clark that she her, and her organization are looking for kids who are interested in careers in technology. And does he know anyone who might be interested? And he says, oh, I think I know a few. And of course, you know, the viewer knows that he's talking about Dustin, Mike and Lucas. So presumably he gives her their names. Um, so this is obviously yes. the next step after, you know, the principal had called in the repairman air quotes repairman to look at the um the radio in last episode and that we know that the man who arrived was actually one of you know dr brenner's men from the lab posing as a repairman so yeah they obviously are they have tracked down dr um, mr clark after the principal used his name and now we're using mr clark to track down the kids that are hiding 11 yeah, and I will say this does seem to be one of their more sophisticated schemes because at first I was like, wow, she's just going to like beat him yeah. or it like really use violence to get what she wants out of him. But like it's a smart tactic. It's a very shrewd approach. There's no reason he needs to know that they're not telling the truth. And of course, he's just going to give them the names of these kids. Like, Yes, um, I was actually like I was thinking to myself, I was like, who's the member of Dr. Brenner's team who's putting together the marketing for this ploy? <laughs> like she has a very <laughs> her cat like her thing. You're yes. right. They would have had to print that this morning. A very on, like, professional. Printer. Yeah, that's, that's yeah, right. right. I mean, like it was on glossy paper it was you know beautifully done yeah. like someone put a lot of work into that but it I was not the team who was on the body no exactly where, which was quite terrible. they put all their marketing in uh, they put all their money in marketing and no money into yeah. body stuffing body, body <laughs> budget uh, cuts um that's right uh yes yeah, so um just a quick scene there. And then Dustin arrives at Mike's place and Mike is still distraught about Eleven leaving and he feels responsible because he yelled at her. So, you know, like he he knows that Eleven didn't betray them, that she was just trying to protect them um, when she um, deliberately led them in the wrong direction when they were trying to find the gate. Um, and Mike is still pretty pissed at Lucas for being unreasonable. And um, Dustin is really coming into his own in these last couple of episodes. So last episode, he had this really great compass, um, you know, soliloquy. <laughs> uh, and then in this yep. one, um, you know, Dustin is the referee and he's the only one talking sense. So he's just like, listen, you were all assholes, including Eleven. Um, so... <laughs> Here, here's what's got to be done. Mike, you drew fl- first blood. You know, he's the one who pushed Lucas first. So rules of the party, which I assume means 
D and D rules are that Mike has to shake Lucas's hand. He's the one who has to extend the the hand to Lucas to make amends. And uh, Mike doesn't want to, but Dustin reminds him that he needs to accept responsibility, or he'll be banished from the party. Right. Also, D and D references. <laughs> uh, so this scene this scene ends with Dustin putting on his coat and saying, "Like you know what to do. We're going to Lucas's right now," and then they'll go find Eleven. This is really like the first scene of what is a lengthy story for these guys for this entire episode of trying. Everyone's very fragmented right now. This group that has been very united throughout the entire season. Right. Although I really kind of feel like this has been a bit of a long time coming. Yeah. I mean, like since moment one, Lucas has taken issue with Eleven. He has never accepted her, um, you know, as part of the group and, um, you know, even, you know, Dustin obviously was kind of like more standoffish around Eleven than, you know, than Mike was, who immediately took her under his wing. But Dustin was like, she's really cool. She's got superpowers. She's like a superhero. But Lucas never gave her an inch. And, uh, you know, we find out why when they discuss it more later in this episode. But yeah, I really think that this big fight is kind of like, you know, the culmination of all of that discord that we've seen since Eleven showed up. But uh, but yeah, way to go, Dustin, for ca- calling it like it is and getting people in line. <laughs> That's right. Okay, so from there, we actually move on and we're on a flashback and Eleven is in her room at the lab. So Dr. Brenner comes in, he gives her a flower as a gift, and he says to her, today's a yeah. special day because they're going to make history and that they're going to make contact. And so he doesn't say who they're going to make contact with, but... Um, obviously it seems like it's another, uh, interaction with the monster. Okay. So from here, we just go to a really quick scene, um, with Karen and unknown named dad at the breakfast table. Karen is feeding Holly and it's just the three of them. And eventually the dad wonders where Nancy Heaven is. forbid you should go check on her yourself, dad. So here, Karen, who does everything in the family, she goes up. And she finds Nancy's room locked. There's music blaring from it. So she uses a bobby pin, sleuthy, to break into Nancy's room. Finds the window open. She can see the extra sleeping bag on the floor. Um, And obviously Nancy's gone out the window. And I just, I don't understand her thinking here. I agree. Because why not just send Jonathan out the window? Sure. Um, But then come down for breakfast and then go about your business. Like... It's broad daylight. You would not be confined to your house. And instead, I feel like all you've done is raise suspicions here by breaking out of your yeah. room. And how yeah. did you think I you mean, were going to get caught? I mean, Nancy has snuck out several times in this series already. I think she, like, I expected more, uh, more sleuthiness from Nancy. Um <laughs> Um, so we're back in present day after the flashback with Eleven. She wakes up in the woods. Um, so she slept outside after not going home to, uh, to Mike's place after the fight. And, uh, she goes to a stream and she, you know, she puts her wig back on that she's taken off and she seems to like not... She seems to be like agitated with her with her own reflection. She like rips off the wig and she's staring at her own reflection with like loathing and then screams, screams at it. And then there's this like it's the same sort of like surge of energy that happened when she screamed and and sent Lucas flying in the last episode. And she like the the water just like, you know, sort of like 
I don't know, like parts, you know what I mean? Like there's a big surge of energy in the water. Um, and then uh, we've cut back to um, Dustin and Mike who arrive at Lucas's and, and Mike is offering the obligatory handshake, but Lucas is still pretty pissed. And, um, and he says that he's only shaking Mike's hand on the condition that they forget about 11 and they just go straight to the gate. But Mike's, Mike's yeah. like, no way. Good for Mike. Um, and uh, so then, you know, Dustin has to play the referee again. And he uses like, again, you know, like, like you said, just like they're really kind of like all of all of the things that they kind of do in life the way that they conduct themselves and the way that they're approaching this whole you know scenario it's all kind of rooted in D logic <laughs> so he's using the example of this like past campaign where they couldn't agree on which path to take so they split up and yeah. they all got disabled by trolls so dustin is like lesson learned you got you can't, you don't split up the party but um, but to Lucas, like, Eleven's not part of the party, right? Like, you know, he's, like, the the party is the three people in this room. And, of course, Will. But, like, and um, and to Mike, Eleven is, you know, like, a full member of this group now. So, uh, so yeah, they're not, they're not seeing eye to eye on that. And we get a little, like, a little more comic relief from Dustin, who's, like, you know, right or wrong, Eleven throwing lucas in the air was awesome <laughs> it's yeah. true exactly it's like her powers are amazing and they should be incorporated into whatever they're trying to do which is very smart because it's a lot better than any of yeah. the things that they have yeah, exactly like mike's mike is saying to lucas rightfully so like she's a weapon and we need her like how are you gonna fight a demogorgon with a pocket rocket or like a wrist rocket or whatever you know a slingshot essentially but um you know lucas isn't budging he's just going he's just going to go find will himself then so unfortunately we didn't see the gang come back together in this scene so um but i'm pretty sure that we yes, will in the long run okay so then we are with Eleven, and she is walking into town. She's disheveled. She doesn't have her wig. Her clothes are dirty. And she walks into the supermarket. So a child on her own probably already Agreed. stands out. Um, but she stands out even more just because she's so distinct looking. She's obviously hungry. She's been by herself for quite a while now. Um, so everyone is staring at yes. her. And that kind of staring elicits this flashback of her being led to the bath by Dr. Brenner. And the same thing with all the scientists staring at her as she's walking down the hallway. And Dr. Brenner tells her to remember that the monster can't hurt her there, um, like in the purgatory area, and that it's reaching out to her and calling to her and she shouldn't turn away from it, which is just so ridiculous. Yeah. Like, how does he know? I mean, I mean, he might have used a sensory deprivation chamber before, but we know that you've never encountered, like, a species from an alternate yeah. dimension, because otherwise you wouldn't exactly. be making history with this one. So, you know, like, you don't know shit, Dr. Brenner, like. And, like, I mean, I, okay, so, like, obviously, Eleven stumbled across this being, this monster thing, by accident, right? So so now he has, like, 
I don't know, grasped onto this thing. And I mean, like, does he even know what it is yet? Are we supposed to have surmised that like from the last episode where Eleven is in the tank and they hear the sound of the of the creature over the audio speakers that like, you know, that he has somehow done research that tells him who or what this thing might be? Like, does he have yeah, any idea what she's encountering in there? And she, her communication is super limited, right? Like, whatever right. words she would use, there wouldn't be very many of them. And he can't see what she's seeing, right? Like, no. he can hear what no. she's hearing, so he heard some growling. Like, I guess yeah. I'm just not entirely sure what exactly is making Dr. Brenner so confident that this is I agree. Kind of I mean, other idea. than he's, like, the worst kind of scientist, which is just to, you know, find whatever he can. Like, I feel like at this point he's abandoned his, you know, Cold War spy tactics in favor of like some epic yeah. scientific discovery that's going to win him a billion prizes you know blah 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 and so now he's just like pushing to figure out what this is but i completely agree and i also think like obviously her development has mm-hmm. been stunted i think to be only serve the purpose of what she does right so you just, like her difficulty in explaining what upside down was even to the boys like how much could she describe what it is and then He's just not thinking through how terrifying it was, even though obviously her reaction was like extremely explicit in the last episode. Yeah. yeah. So I I am a little bit disappointed, to be honest, because like in the last episode, I was like, oh, my God, I can't wait to see how the scene ends. And, you know, like, yeah, and we don't get get it. it. And we do see a lot of scenes in, you know, in this show from episode to episode that would finish you know, in yeah. in a in a different one. So I really thought there was a good chance that we were going to see something here, but it, we didn't. So presumably, you know, when uh, Eleven was being chased by the creature in the last episode, that she just somehow like closed off her mind, came back to the present, was no longer in this purgatory like neutral zone, and that was the end of it, right? Do you think if they remove her either from the tank or they take the like sensors off her head that either of those help remove her out? I don't think that taking the sensors off her head would except for the fact that they would have to like open the chamber and like take off, you know what I mean? And remove her. her. But I think that like, like the whole thing with like a sensory deprivation chamber or this like isolation chamber is that like it removes all external um stimuli stimulus stimulation (laughs) um you know like there's no there's no sight there's no sound there's you know you're just floating in water and then it's you know you're supposed to like have visions and stuff like that right um so i think that if you reintroduce any kind of stimuli in terms of like opening the window so that she could see out yeah, it's going to yeah. distract her. But I mean, yeah. like, but maybe she's simply yeah. able to just come out of it herself. I don't know. I mean, no, but if that's the case, then she wouldn't have necessarily yeah. lost Screen? her shit. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it does feel like she's, like, caught in it once she's there until they remove her. But then it's weird because she's only there in her mind because she's in that black space, not in, like, the other world she's not in the upside down she's yes. in this like weird so this is okay place. like on a very yeah. quick side note um uh to our listeners i am so sorry because i realize now that i have been using the word telepathy when i should have been using the word telekinesis every time that a like 
move something with her mind. But it like so sorry about that. Um, but in th- in this case, I do think that she that like it's telepathy that she's using, right? right? That she that she has this link of some kind to the to this creature. I mean, not to, not to it specifically. I mean, but like the the fact that she's able to project herself in this place. Um, I don't know. I think that she's like opening up a link to. To, you know, some ability that the creature might have. or You know what I'm saying? Right. I feel like, to use the analogy from the last episode, she is starting to move, like, around the wire right. to dimensions that don't exist for normally, like the acrobats. And she is becoming the flea. That, <gasps> yes. So, like, this is the beginning of the ability Oh my to, god! Like ultimately, <gasps> if upside down is upside down, then this she's, like, the sideways. approaching the this side of the it. This is the sideways. Yeah, and that's how she's like. I mean, obviously, she's like breaking into somewhere in like Moscow or something. And to do that, she's had to like mm-hmm. play with space time mm-hmm. in order to like put herself be able to see that. And in doing so, that's where she's like bridging between the two. And so while she's not in another world yet, yeah, then it's like what for sure. Is this? So yeah. I mean, like I I I do think that you know, like you're right. Maybe this isn't necessarily a place of her own making. You know what I mean? It's not like a place within her own mind that she's going. It right. is a place that is sort of the the in-between, like the sideways or whatever that she's able, yeah. she's able to go. But like in... And that the monsters always also... Exactly. Like I do think it's a place they're both Agreed. able to access. And that's because the, the thing is, is that like when yeah. she was in this place, this purgatory place, and she was projecting the Russian guy yeah. and so that, you know... She was projecting his image and she was, you know, listening to his conversation of whatever. He was still like on a sidewalk in, yes. you know, Russia Agreed. somewhere or whatever. Like he was oblivious to the fact that he was in this space. He wasn't actually in it or whatever. Um, so in the same way, when we see the monster in this episode, at least, I mean, he seems to be like in the upside down eating something. Yeah. Um, you know, he isn't physically in that space, you know in any more way than like 11 is do you know what i mean she's still physically in the tub he's still physically having his dinner but the difference is that unlike the russian he's aware of her right you know like he he yeah they're aware of each other exactly because they're both accessing that place for whatever reason and that's as far as he's been able to go but now that she's opened like in the same way that he can't go to like the top side of the rope or like what is upside down world for him like yeah, the fact that he can get there and now she's bridged that gap means that she can get to his, but he can get to hers. Yeah, it's definitely, um, I agree with you. It's not that anybody is really there, but they're right. all kind of playing with that location, <gasps> for lack of a better word, for what it's getting them in terms of, yeah, meeting yeah. between their world and where they're trying to go. Interesting. So we kind of jumped ahead there, but basically all we see in that scene, though, is that she's in that black space again, which we know from the last episode. Um, so then from there, she's back in present day, still in the grocery store. The security guard is like, obviously, she's not going unnoticed. So they're asking her where her parents are. She just gives them this amazing look and calls them a mouth breather, which is so perfect. And then just starts like, re- finally recognizes egos in the frozen food section and just like starts helping herself to boxes and boxes 
of Egos, the treat from the 80s. Uh, breakfast of Champions, <laughs> that one. Uh, remember when it used to be like part of a complete breakfast and then it would have a picture of like oh, yeah. a glass of milk, a glass of juice, like eggs, fruit, and like an ego. <laughs> Smothered in butter and, and <laughs> syrup. This is how you make a complete breakfast. Um, so then the security guard is like, you can't just leave with those. And there's this like awesome moment of her walking out. And first she like moves with her mind, this woman's shopping cart in front of him. And then she just like slams the, the sliding doors in his face as she's walking out and she never breaks into a run. She just like walks out the front of the grocery store. Yes. I love this because it's like, okay, I really kind of feel like Eleven is finally realizing that, she, like, no, nobody can her, not fuck the with other her. Way around. Yeah, yeah, nobody can That's fuck right. with her. And we did, yeah. we did see in past episodes, right? Like we saw that when the the you know men with guns are chasing after her, then she puts them down. When they try to lock her in this yeah. thing, then she like she she kills them. But every time, it's like out of a sense of you know self defense and vulnerability, and like, and I think. I think that this might be the first time that we've seen her playing offense. And granted, it's yeah, I it's agree. just like a like a you know a small little thing. She moved a shopping cart, and she like she didn't hurt anybody, of course. Which she's you know a good person. She's not going to just throw that around unless she's having to defend herself. But I really think that this was her kind of realizing her own strength. Defended Mike, and she's defended like, but in that case, she's still defending somebody else, and it's more like the yeah. I mean, like, I guess, I guess, um, I don't know. Like when she was defending Mike, I felt like it was, um, you know, it was a little bit of this too. You're right. Like, I mean, I think that she she had that moment afterwards where she was just like where she like wiped her nose in this like really saucy way and she you know so uh, you're right like maybe this yeah, this right. isn't uh this isn't <laughs> yeah. quite the first because that was a good example of it too but I just think that with the potential of having lost um lost Mike that she has stopped giving any fucks and I mean like that isn't necessarily like a great place yeah. for her to be because we don't want her to feel like you know um, she has no options left and, you know, she's just she, like, she's obviously hating herself right now. So, you know, it's not a good space where I want her to be in. But at the yeah. same time, I, you know, I just love that, you know, she's mad and she's not going to take it anymore. That's right. Exactly. Uh, absolutely. Um, okay, so Hopper and Joyce, they arrive at uh, at Terry Ives' house, and uh, her sister answers the door. So she, they want to talk to Terry about her missing daughter, about her sister's life. She's not going to be much help. So we we see Terry sitting in front of the TV in her pajamas. She seems really out of it. Joyce is trying to tell her about Will and um, ask her if she can tell them anything about her daughter. But, you know, she's, like, non-responsive. She's just kind of sitting in her PJs, not really following the conversation. And uh, her sister just says that they're wasting their time. Um, And then we see Luke is packing for his solo outing to the gate. He's got his, he's got his backpack full. He's got his bandana on, you know, he's, he's ready to go and he means business. And uh, so he sees a repairman outside his house. We know it's the same repairman from the lab. And so he just kind of gives him a little wave. And, you know, we know we know the reason why that guy's there. But Lucas doesn't at this point. That's right. Bad guys. Bad man. Mm-hmm. 
Um, yeah, so then we move to Dustin and Mike are on their bikes looking for Elle, obviously um, without Lucas. And so we get more of Dustin's amazing insights here. Um, and Dustin really lays in where tells Mike, you know, explains to him that he's not Lucas's kind of, you know, problem with Elle really kind of comes from a jealousy place. So mm-hmm. Lucas says that, you know, Mike's best friend um, is Dustin and it has to do with the fact that like obviously Lucas is like I understand I moved in here in like grade four and you guys live side by side and other way other way around though right best friends other way around so Lucas is right sorry Dustin yes yes yeah that's right sorry and uh yeah there's a hierarchy to best friends and you can only have one because those are the rules (laughs) um but I think it is really like eye-opening to Mike that he's that this is coming from a jealous place rather than um, you know, being stubborn or those kinds of things. So it's just another great scene, you know, of Dustin kind of being the truth teller here amongst them. And I really like Mike's insistence too that like they're all best friends, including Dustin. Yeah. Um, you know, really kind of pushing back on that. You have to have only one best friend piece. Um, and then they're just biking along. They see they come to the grocery store. They see the commotion. There's a cop car. Obviously, the broken doors, and they just immediately realize that Eleven. Um, must have been there. And so they're biking down to it and there's just kind of like a slight camera to the side and you all you see really is someone's shoulder, yeah. right? Like, um, and that they're being watched. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah. <laughs> um, so back at Terry's place, her sister is telling Hopper and Joyce about the study that Terry was involved in. So she said that the reason why Terry is so like unresponsive now is because the drugs really mess her up. And so, um, so Hopper asked if the CIA was involved and her sister was like super dismissive, like, oh, you and Terry would have gotten along great. So obviously, like at the time that Terry was involved in this study and that Eleven was... Um, well, sorry, Terry's daughter, which I assumed to be 11, was abducted yeah. by Dr. Brenner or whatever. Like, she was she was spouting off conspiracy, you know, theories, which, of course, are true. Um, so, obviously, there was no stock placed into any of that because, you know, Terry's sister is just like, oh, yeah, like, you guys get along great. CIA, hilarious. Um, mm-hmm. And so the sister says that the study essentially consisted of, like, Terry and the other test subjects, I assume, they were given psychedelic drugs like LSD and then stripped naked and put in these isolation tanks. So what she describes as the isolation tank is essentially like the bath that Eleven was put in. And um, and that Terry didn't know that she was pregnant at the time. Oh, and that the purpose of the study was that Dr. Brenner wanted to expand the boundaries of the mind. So this is why I think Eleven is the only child, because ultimately Eleven was born with powers. What I took out of this is that Eleven was born with powers as a result of of being in the womb when Terry underwent this study. So, So like Dr. Brenner didn't necessarily, you know, like steal a bunch of babies and then perform, perform tests on them. You know, as children, in order to get them to this place, what I understood of this this was like Terry was a part of this larger study, not knowing that she was pregnant. It had like these side effects or, you know, like results, you know, on the the baby, which was that the baby was born with powers. And that that is how Eleven came to be. And so, you know, that Terry's sister says that 
you know, like Terry was insistent that the big bad, bad man like stole her baby because of these like powers that seemed like they came out of a Stephen King novel. You know what I mean? I think that's a really good point, Kim. Yeah, I had not thought of it like that. And I think you're super right um, that there was probably like there was numbers one through 10 in the study, for example, and then she happened to be 11 and somehow either he ex- suspected that maybe she would have powers or maybe she displayed them or maybe there is even something that like Terry was exhibiting while she was pregnant that mm-hmm. was different. Um, but yeah, I think you're, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Sure. And then, um, so, um, so Joyce asked to see like a picture of the, of Jane at, so, so, I think it's pretty safe to say that Eleven is the stolen baby, right? So, so Eleven's real name yeah. is Jane, and um, and Terry's sister said, like, I don't think you understand. Terry miscarried in the third trimester, so we know that that is not the case. But you know, as far as Terry's family goes, like, they don't even know that there is a missing child. They believe that you know she miscarried. Um. And super sad. Like, it's just such a sad yeah. scene because, um, yeah, obviously, I mean, Terry sounds like she was kind of the black sheep of the family yeah. that she would be, per- like, partaking in these experiments, you know, like, um, of which I think they were really common in the 70s. Obviously, LSD was, like, experimented with a lot, um, both, like, officially and non-officially. But, um, yeah, yeah, and that... Everybody is so busy believing the man, which is, like, such a recurring theme in this entire show, right? Like, right. All the people who are respectable are the people who will just, like, completely turn a blind eye to everything in front of them and just as long as everything stays normal. And so she's now not spoken for, like, five years because she spent her whole life trying to, like, sue Dr. Brenner and bring it to light and was just consistently right. so discredited <gasps> that her sister is just, like, says without any problem, like, oh, my God, she had a, you know – uh miscarriage in her third trimester obviously it's just like yeah and then hopper like the law authority is like that could be covered up (laughs) yes and she was like like i said you guys would get along great but um that's actually a pretty good point that you raised though because okay so i said like in my earlier like recap that the reason why terry isn't saying anything right now is because she was messed up by the drugs in the study but that oh, can't sorry, necessarily yeah. be true but that can't be true right because no you're you're right there's a reference At- to five years too yes like yeah. after the study she you know she tried to sue him she like we saw yeah. all of these newspaper articles and whatever so um so yeah so yeah it wasn't necessarily the the, the study that you know, left her, you know, virtually nonverbal. It's like... Well, and after everything we've seen, like, either maybe she worked herself into that state or mm-hmm. maybe something else additionally was done to her. Like... Right. I would not put it past these people to, like, you know, do something mood-altering or brain-altering or I don't know. Like, I her, was actually thinking... I was thinking that, though, I was like, you know, we did talk a little bit already about the fact that this giant, like, clandestine organization that's, like, doing super secretive human testing for the government and whatever, in in some ways, is is kind of like a, you know... um, mom and pop shop of uh yes <laughs> of um, <laughs> um like black ops amateurs yes exactly anyway so like why wouldn't they kill terry ives i mean they have yeah. 
they have a living witness of the things that they've done, of the fact that there's a baby still alive that was stolen that has superpowers. I mean, yeah. in any other movie, this in any other movie or show, like, you know, Terry Ives' life would be in grave danger. But sure. like one, but fo- I mean, one phone call and they found more- her. But only once, like five years later and 11 years or 10 years after this baby was born and only because this monster is now wreaking so much havoc that it's very difficult to ignore. Right. Um, but I'm like, because before that, it was just like, she was so discredited, even her own sister. That's true. I, I was really, honestly, I was like half expecting and kind of hoping that as Terry was essentially confronted with people who know she's right that she yeah. would snap out of it that she would like that maybe this was self-induced yeah. and she would be like finally someone who's talking some sense and then she would just kind of come around but that yeah that did yeah not happen, and they, we're kind of teasing that too right i mean there's a long look between she and joyce and joyce is obviously really drawn to her i'm sure like in a scary way it's like yeah i mean we're gonna come to that scene too but like joyce i think sees a lot of herself in terry in terms of like people believing or not believing in terms of missing kids and what that does to you um which is look what it's already done joyce in like what four or five days um let alone all of those years for sure and yeah yeah exactly so i mean like uh joyce asks the sister like is there any way that terry could have been telling the truth about having the baby and um and again like super dismissive her sister is just like no couldn't possibly be true you know like um, we have like affidavits. I don't know what she's, I can't remember what she said exactly, but like doctors, nurses, they all confirmed that the baby miscarried. And when Hopper, you know, as you mentioned, says that that could be covered up. She's just like, oh yeah. Like I bet you one of the nurses well, looked a you- lot like the AV club lady slash <gasps> the yes. <laughs> God. Oh, totally could be covered up. She's a very, a very talented actress, that she one, too. She's a face. very convincing. Yeah, yeah. They cast well yeah. on that one. Um, okay, so we do come back to that again before the end of the episode. But in the meantime, we see Lucas uh, on his own in his, like, Rambo gear. Um, and he's come across, he's trying to follow his compass, and he's come across the Hawkins Lab fence, and he's trying to walk around it. Um, I think at first to try and you know, go around it as an obstacle, but we're going to see obviously that changes very soon. Mm-hmm. And then we go forward to Jonathan and Nancy at an army surplus store getting supplies for their monster hunt, which is a really kind of funny scene. So they grab like <laughs> bear traps, a huge tank of like, I don't know, some sort of gas, gas, ammunition, a bunch of ammunition, like random tools. And the obviously also the 80s where you could just buy ammunition, no problem. Yeah. And uh, the clerk's like, what do you need all this stuff for? And Nancy's answer is monster hunting. That's right. Um, and he's like, oh, is, sounds, sounds okay. about right. Yeah, sure. <laughs> That's right. Um, and then we they go outside and a car drives by and honks and yells at Nancy. We can't wait to see your movie. And all I wrote here in caps was like, Steve is an asshole. Like, even before I saw what this played oh, out to be, knew. I knew exactly. You knew. So awful. So at first I thought maybe he'd recorded them, but then of course in the 80s that would take a recorder like the size of like a toaster oven. <laughs> That's, that is 100% where my mind went to. Like obviously I didn't know that it was going to be a billboard on top of a movie theater. Yeah. I actually thought that he was just like, oh, he filmed them having sex. But you're right. I mean like that 
I mean, like, that would not have been discreet. It <laughs> would have been... Nanny cams in the 80s. So That's right. Yeah, but what he's done instead is just spray-painted the local cinema's, like, signage to say that there is uh, there is a movie, obviously, called All the Right Moves, um, and it says starring Nancy the Slut, which is just, like, what a dick. So um, she can hear something in the alley. She walks around, and Steve's there with his friends, and they're spray-painting more graffiti. Um, so this is just never going to end well. Obviously, she's there. She, like, slaps him. Um, Steve basically confronts her that um, that she hadn't been faithful. I forget how he says it, but basically says that he's, she figures out that he saw her and Jonathan in her room the night before. Jonathan's there, and he's trying to be the bigger person and get Nancy to leave, but eventually Steve's heckling just gets um too intense about like yeah and you know there's no wonder that will is like missing blah 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 and then jonathan just loses it um so it gets they're kind of like going back and forth and then jonathan gets the upper hand and he is just letting loose on steve and the cops are arriving which is not good and and they're trying to break it up jonathan hits one of them in the face which is like is that these useless cops are pretty hilarious mm-hmm. like, and that's like the more useless one who gets hit in the face he's just like ah <laughs> like, like you guys are not pleased like, oh my god dude you're a cop but seriously i was like go jonathan through this whole scene fucking get him i mean i just i just i couldn't get over how much of a douche Steve was in this whole scene to to Nancy and to you know the things that he was saying to Jonathan were awful. awful. I mean, he like, was goading him to like the max for sure. Yeah, um, yeah, absolutely. And then I mean, like I really feel too like um, you know Jonathan has been such this like really quiet, mild mannered guy, yeah. and I think that that is that's who he is. You know. Um, as a person, but also kind of probably who he is sort of like as a result of his place in the world yeah. and his, you know, his, who his father is and how he was treated and how he's treated by kids at school and yeah. stuff. And so it was, it was really nice to see him kind of like get some gumption and stand up for himself and essentially stand up for, for Nancy. Um, and I think Nancy appreciated it too. Yeah. I, I mean, I agree. And I don't think you could watch, I mean, Steve has been really awful and she's turned a blind eye. Like, nothing is more frustrating than when she watched him, you know, throw his camera around and, like, be so awful to Jonathan and she just, like, keeps going with him. Like, she was so blind for so long that I really hope this is, like, you know, she's now seen even more of that vitriol and how awful it is. But, But, yeah, like, this was really kind of the... Um, character development that I was hoping for for Nancy like I remember saying in a previous podcast that I just hope that she gets to a point where she just stops giving a shit about what these people think and 100% I feel like she's there Um, but also I mean like in this um, same scene just a little bit earlier when she was talking about how like a week ago she was shopping for like a blouse with Barb and she thought it was you know for her date with Steve or whatever and she thought that it was just the biggest deal in the world and now i think that like this whole thing has really helped her gain a whole lot of perspective and yeah yeah 
Um, okay, so Hopper and Joyce are leaving Terry's and Joyce kind of breaks down in the car and she's upset that Terry's daughter has been missing for 12 years. And as you'd mentioned before, she's probably seeing a lot of herself in Terry and probably thinking too about what it might be like if 12 years from now she is still looking for Will. Um, so Hopper points out that Terry's daughter was seen only like five nights ago at Benny's. So they have a chance and he would, he would give anything for, for that kind of chance to be able to, you know, to get his daughter, Sarah back. Yeah. Um, and just then uh, Hopper gets a call from the station saying that Jonathan Byers is in custody for, for fighting. So um, does he know where Joyce is? And of course he does because she's in the car with him. Correct. So we move forward to the police station where the, like, secretary lady that we've seen in a couple episodes now is there. Um, Nancy's wondering about when they're going to get out. And she's told that her boyfriend is going to be there for a while because he assaulted a police officer. Um, which I would be to be like, that cop got in the way of his fist. Not the Yeah, like, around, I feel like that's a stretch. Agreed. Come on. Um... And Nancy reacts, oh, he's not my boyfriend. And, you know, the woman, like, blatantly states the obvious here that only love makes you that crazy and stupid. Although the first thing that came to my head, too, is, like, it's not just love for Nancy. I mean, he really reacted, too, to taunts about, like, the people he loves, like his brother. Yeah, exactly. Uh, But obviously, yes, it doesn't take much to see that, you know, Jonathan has feelings for her. So she brings him some ice and you can definitely see that kind of change in the way, you know, she's like more shy and uh, there's definitely like romanticness happening there. In the midst of all the monster hunting. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I think they're really cute, cute together in this scene. And I mean, I just hope... uh, I hope that, you know, their monster hunting just brings them closer and closer. (laughs) Okay, so Mike and Dustin, they're in the woods, so they're calling for Eleven. uh, And instead, they get bullies with a knife. Um, Can I just say, like... Those bullies are everywhere. This this escalated quickly. (laughs) I mean, like... (laughs) Remember how it was it was it episode one that we were like, these bullies are ridiculous. I mean, yeah, they're yeah. they're jerks and they're calling them names and that's never cool. But then they're like, crack your knuckles for us. And then they walk away. And I was like, OK, <laughs> 80s bullies. Yeah, I think we even All commented right. on how like these bullies are not that bad. And then in this scene, it's like, I'm going to rip your teeth out like, with this a knife. knife? Really? <laughs> I mean, like, first encounter, <laughs> knuckle cracking, second encounter, tripping, third encounter, pee pants, and now knife. It definitely has to do with encounter number three, though, as to why it's played so For badly. sure. Yeah. For sure. But even still, I was like, you know, Agreed. that seems to, that seems to have escalated a little fast. Um so, so Dustin and Mike, they uh, they drop their brakes and they run. Um, so meanwhile, we quick cut to Lucas. Yeah, he's still trying yeah. to find a way past the fence or like, you know, trying to get to where the compass is pointing north beyond the fence. And he um, climbs up a tree um, bordering it to, to look on the grounds. I have to say that I really love Lucas having something to do other than kind of yeah. put down 11 and yes. Yeah. Um, and I really feel like, okay, like even just his setup, I noticed like on his bike when he was, um, you know, wheeling his bike next to the fence, um, that showed that he had rigged up his big walkie talkie, um, on the, 
like handlebars of his bike and then on top of that he's rigged up his compass and then he's got his bandana on he's got all of his you know like vietnam stuff in his in his pack and like i mean he's ready to go and he means business and it was it's just it's really nice to see lucas just kind of you know doing his thing and not simply being the obstacle to the thing that mike wants to do yeah, because he is annoying as the obstacle because, like, we as the audience are like, shut up, L, like, is a crucial part of this yeah. whole story. You know, you're being a dink. Uh, there's room for everybody here. So, yeah, I agree. That's a really yeah, good Yeah, so love yeah. that. Um, so he is um, uh, looking at the, the grounds of, like, the lab through his um, binoculars, and he sees the same repair vans, like, as the one that was outside of his house when he when he waved to him and um, he doesn't say anything or whatever, but it's like, it's pretty obvious that he takes note of that, that that's like, that he's making that connection. At least that's how I read it. Did you read it? The same yeah. Way? And I think too. Yeah, totally. And I think, cause at this point, I think he's realized that the, like the compass keeps pointing him into, cause right. he goes around the fence. And when he does that, the compass is like pointing back. So I think he's like both, this is where the gate is and those are the vans that I've, like, you know, seen before. And the army vehicle, too, which I thought was definitely. And obviously, Lucas has, like, a military background. We've referenced that before. So, yeah, I think he's kind of like, yes. why is this military vehicle right. in this, like, Yes. There's both military, military vehicles and repair vans. It just doesn't add up. And he's yeah. he's noticing that it's weird. Yeah, agreed. Um, so Mike and Dustin, they're still running, but the bullies have caught up to them and they're right at the edge of the quarry. And so the guy with the knife, I don't know either of the bullies names. Um, he holds, he holds the knife to Dustin's throat and, um, and wants Mike to tell him how he made him pee his pants. Um, so he threat, he's threatening to cut out Dustin's teeth unless Mike jumps off the cliff, which again is like, that's, I mean, that's not small potato stuff. Agreed. Like, his friend does even say, like, man, like this is a bit much. Because you're condemning one to, like, death if he jumps off that cliff. Yes. Or, like, because, as we heard in earlier episodes, <laughs> water turns to concrete when you jump off a height that high. Which I'd like to point out, only one of the Hawkins police officers right. realized. Which is <laughs> super worthy, so... Uh, but yeah, like, so you're going to murder one guy or you're going to cut out the other guy. Like, you're going to knife the other guy in the mouth, which could also kill him. Like, it's just so intense. I know. And then and Mike yeah. is just like, okay, man, I'll do it. <laughs> like, wow. <laughs> Mike, I like, yeah. that's ballsy. Mike is a I good know. friend. And, du- yeah. and Dustin's like, dude, I don't, I don't need my baby teeth. teeth. <laughs> uh, but Mike's like, nope, nope. I'm just going to, nope, I'm going to jump right off. And then he does. Yeah. It's like, there's no hesitation. He's just like walks right off. So of course, like Dustin and the uh, and the bullies, they like run to the edge to see, to yeah. see what happened. And Mike is suspended in, in midair and then is floated back up, back onto solid ground. Um, so Eleven has arrived and she is pissed. <laughs> I just I love this so they like they like look over and she's like bald head yeah you know sort of like her stance her stance is kind of like her head is tilted downward but her eyes are looking up at them 
And she's like leaning for it. And then she's got these like little tiny stick legs coming out from underneath <laughs> that dress with like literally knobbly yes. knees. Like, you know, she's like so giant socks. fragile, but she's just looking so yeah. tough. Um, yeah. Uh, so, um, oh yeah. Okay. So she likes, so she obviously uses her telekinesis to um to bring mike back up and then she like throws one bully aside and then she like breaks the bully's arm that has the knife and uh and you know tells them to run off and then like i am not ashamed to tell you that i did cry in this next scene in this next moment i mean that the dust (laughs) the dust in is like that's right. Don't come back. She's our friend and she's crazy. She'll kill you. Like literally. That's as Dustin is. Yeah. I was like, oh my God. <laughs> I swear to God. I got teary eyed that I was like, Eleven's, Eleven's here and she's my friend and she's never going to let anything bad happen. She belongs as part of our Oh group. my God. Um, but I really feel like they did a great job of making that super impactful. Like the music throughout yeah. this whole episode, I thought was really on point. It it really yeah. elicited okay. like the feeling that they really wanted like the viewer to feel feel in any given moment. So um, they did a great job there. And if they wanted me to feel uh, incredibly touched by this reunion, then you know, job well done. Yeah, it's a good point. I mean, it is. It's the first time they've come back together. Um, in this episode after like you know such a bad exit at the end and yeah it's just you're right a very powerful moment of um you know like he'll defend her to the end i loved that moment too where dustin was like she made your tiny platter oh, yeah. <laughs> when, <laughs> like she she wounded your tiny platter with her mind and she made when the bully was like how did you make me pee my pants <laughs> dustin was like we have a friend who she has superpowers. <laughs> she squeezed your bladder with her mind. Yeah. No, it's just, it. uh, it's a, like an epic return of her. And totally. just, she's their friend. And um, Okay, so we get a flashback to, I keep calling it this like neutral zone or whatever, but this like purgatory place. Yeah. So we're back there with Eleven. She sees the, the monster in the distance and he seems to be feeding on something. And then did you notice there was this like there was definitely a noise that was being made that was like yeah that was happening throughout yeah. this whole scene. It sounded like a jingling of keys or something. Right. I was really kind of half expecting them to reveal that like that that there was something surprising that it was feeding on or something like I felt like there was I felt like there was meaning behind this noise that was being made through the whole scene, but I don't know what it is. Um, and then, so she approaches him slowly and touches its back and it like turns around, like loses its shit on her, like just like growls in her face. And so she like, she screams in terror and then her scream causes this like surge of energy that like cracks all the walls, you know, that that we we know in present day, you know, like she tells Mike that she opened the gate and she's the monster. I was also teary eyed during the scene. Yeah, I can't believe that you know you're so trying to do what Doctor Brenner wants that you're allowing yourself to be put back in that situation. I know, which obviously has been completely terrifying and yeah. awful. 
And then what did you think about the reaction of the monster? Like she goes up to it and it turns and yells at her, but it seems more like a yes. fuck off than maybe as like intimidating and aggressive as it's been now that we've seen it. Yeah, in no, the I world. agree. Like, I get more the like same vibes. But like the thing is, I think is like something, something beyond what we know already has to have happened in order to prompt Eleven to, you know, to leave Dr. Brenner, who she has showed at this point, she's willing to do virtually anything to please, you know, that she is so scared that she won't even go back to this building when in this scene, she was brave enough to just go up and touch this thing on the back, you know, like, so, I mean, I think there has to probably be maybe an example, uh, like maybe in the next episode, we'll see that the portal was created and that this thing gets loose in the lab or something. Yeah, you know? and breaks loose and does like epic damage or something in the lab. I think that we're at least really close yeah. to that time because much more of this and she's going to be like, right. hell no. And for how much longer is she going to believe Dr. Brenner say that thing is not there to scare right. you? Oh, but that's... So, okay, so can I, can I ask you this? Okay, so, like, Dr. Brenner said, he was like, this thing is calling to you. He This thing this thing wants you, you know? It, do you think that he is right in that? Do you think that in the same way that when Eleven went into this place calling to the Russian in order to, like, you know, conjure up his, conjure up his image or something... Um and listen to what he has to say. I mean, like, do you really think that the monster is in some way calling to Eleven? I don't. I really feel like Brenner is I, completely over his head and has no idea what the fuck he's talking about. I agree. About. I, I don't, don't either. I, yeah. I mean, yeah. this... Because first of all, she has to go touch it on the shoulder. So right. So it's just kind of like peacefully just minding its own business. Minding really. its business. Having its supper. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> Which may or may not be some someone or something important. That is true. Um... <laughs> And then she goes and finds it. And I think it's kind of like, yeah, it's like, get away from me. Um, yeah, I just think Brenner is an idiot. Can't see it. Is like completely right. misinterpreting the very scary growls that are coming over the radio. Slash Eleven's own reaction. And just like, you know, whatever this is, we're going to bring it to the, like our world. And that is a terrible, terrible a bad plan. But okay. So like, I yeah. mean, it doesn't seem either like this monster has consciously chosen or in any way tried to go into this like right. purgatory place where, whereas Eleven has like very specifically entered right. this place through the use of the bath and, you know, presumably through her own concentration yep. or whatever, like this thing is just there. So I think maybe it has less to do with, you know, you know, like you say, I think Dr. Brenner's totally <laughs> wrong and that it ha- doesn't, it doesn't have anything to do with this creature, like, you know, intending to even be there. I, I, I think that it's just maybe something that this creature happens to be able to, to do, you know, yeah. Um, and then it's going to realize because of her being there that maybe it can. Like, I think I, I get the feeling that the the room falling apart, which is what we're kind of seeing at the end of this, like she's screaming and there's that energy surge, the wall, like the concrete starts cracking and mm-hmm. everything. I feel like it's the beginning. Oh, for of the sure. A hundred percent. I I believe that that yeah. is it. So like it's about to open up and it's not because the monster mm-hmm. wanted it to, but now that it is, the monster's probably like, sweet. Yeah. You can eat all this like human world food. 
Including humans. The human food. Um, <laughs> like, I wonder if, you know, if essentially the creature, like, chases Eleven through right. the portal. Because Brother won't take her out of the water, probably. Right. But I, like, I think that the creation of the gate has already happened. Like, that was it. I don't think yeah. that there... I think that maybe a next step might be that she has created the rift. Um yeah between that world and this one already through the energy surge that she just created. And I think that maybe there's the potential that she inadvertently leads it to, you know, to, to her world. And now it's traveling back and forth almost without even intending to maybe. Yeah, no, for sure. Like, I think it's consciously going through the portals, but like you had, like you had suggested earlier that it isn't necessarily like, um, fully maybe aware or intending to like open a portal in this, you know what I mean? Like, I think we're gonna, I mean, I think you're right. The fallout of this is where they split, which we've talked about, uh, like what were flashbacks and where we started the series. We're probably getting pretty close to that. Yeah, absolutely. Which, I mean, like, you're right. If we, like, think about the timeline, then ultimately this rift in time might have might have occurred as soon as, you know, five or six days ago. Agreed. Yeah. Because, like, how long would this monster be running around before someone got hurt? And also, like, if we think back to that first scene where the scientist is running away and he's really scared in the elevator, he's just in a lab coat. There's none of the hazmat suits or anything that's been set up that we see later on. Um, It feels like it was an early enough scene that they weren't fully aware of what they were dealing with yet either. I actually think that the creature's encounter with Will in the street is probably the creature, like, leaving the lab area for the first time. Yeah. Yeah. So, and Will, Will has been missing for five days. So that is the same night that Eleven escapes. So the way that I kind of see this going down is I see that, like, Eleven has opened the gate. She inadvertently leaves the, leads the creature back through. All hell breaks loose in the lab. And Eleven escapes in the chaos through the pipe. No, I think so, that makes sense for yeah. sure. We shall yeah. see. Just so, um, yeah, so, so yeah. And so end of that sort of, you know, that scene, the three of them hug, which is really cute. So like Eleven has collapsed on the ground after having saved Mike because that expelled a lot of energy. And Mike reassures her that she's not a monster, that she saved him. Um, and then um, she and Mike and Dustin hug on the ground. And it's very touching. Well, I just love that, like, Dustin is just, like, so awesome here, right? Because it's like, starts off with Mike and Elle hugging. And I feel like Lucas would be like, of course. And Dustin's just like, I'm going to add myself into that. And he just We're all best friends. Exactly. He's just like, there's no, he just doesn't take things, like, nearly as personally. He's just like, it's cool that you're not my best friend. You're still my friend. And, like, this is how I see the world. And, yeah, I'm going to join this hug of two people. Love to Dustin in this episode, for sure. Exactly. So we're at the end of the episode. The kids, a.k.a. uh, Dustin and Mike and Elle, are heading back to Mike's place, to the basement. And here we can see that another one of those repairman bad guys um, are sitting outside of his place. Again, they don't notice that kind of happening. They say they have eyes on them now. And we see a scene of, like, Dr. Brenner and his team grabbing, like, huge amounts of guns. So many guns. 
armor and they're getting into all those undercover vans and helpfully Lucas is watching the whole thing, which is awesome from his tree. Um, and all of these vans head out on their way and the kids like obviously on their way to the kids, the kids are unexpectedly, unsuspectingly rather, um, heading into Mike's basement. I mean, Ella's looking around suspiciously, but nobody recognizes the vans, but like why all the guns just like bring in three kids. Oh, because Ella's terrified. 11. Okay. Yes. But that, I mean, like, are these tranquilizer guns? I mean, is the expectation that they're going to bring her back? Yeah, like what's or the? Are they gonna kill her? Not good. I feel like Brenner would not kill her. I really feel like he would do his very best because he's. Such I don't an idiot. think so either. Okay, yeah. can we discuss? I mean, have we seen much evidence other than some telephone listening? Um, I mean, like, what are they doing to find this monster? Like, yeah. they're putting a lot of efforts into finding Eleven, but, like, there's also a monster on the list, Is right? Is that, like, one and the same to them? Like, if they get her, then she'll be able to help them maybe close the portal or something? Is Do it, they want okay. to close it? Is it possible that Brenner has not seen the yes. monster? Because he sends that guy in, the guy who ends up, like, getting eaten. It's like, what do you see? The winch. And he's like, exactly. Like, it's like he doesn't know what is on yes. the other side yet. Like, is it possible he's still just, like, blind? Right. And somehow, maybe the portal opens, but the monster doesn't come through after this, like, sensory deprivation tank thing. Yeah, maybe, um, like, I could be entirely wrong on that theory yeah. that, like, the monster comes through and, and whatever. No, but we know that the monster comes through because he killed the scientist in the first episode. But we don't necessarily. Oh, for sure. But I mean, but Brenner Dr. Brenner might not have been there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So maybe like Brenner is still not thinking that this monster is that mm-hmm. big of a deal because he's like such an idiot. And so he's so focused intently on getting L that they're not. Yes, seriously. Because I agree. They got, they got no monster problem very well. Right. Like everybody's yeah. just going about their business at the energy department. There doesn't seem to be a whole lot of, uh, a whole lot of monster hunting that's going on. And uh, they're and they're just trying to cover it up constantly. Yeah. <laughs> you're right. And I get you're right. Everybody is still like totally working normally. I mean, Brenner has very little care for human life. I think that has been like very clearly conveyed until this point. But um, even then, it's like, wouldn't you be like, hey, there's been a gas leak. Everybody has to clear out of this building for like a couple days because we lost a monster. In That's it. right. Um. Uh, just like uh, this might not mean anything, but like why why a plant do you think as a gift to Eleven when Doctor Brenner? Do you think it's because she had no yeah. no windows? Yeah, like some sort of sad reference to the fact that that would be mm. incredibly special for her to see a piece of the outdoors. It's an African violet. I don't know if that has any. Um, How the hell that. did you? My mom really. Loves those. <laughs> Yeah, but like I was like random plant. That's right, but yeah, I got it. It's like this girl has like lived in her obviously like cell room since she was born, basically, or like ripped out of her mother. And yeah, no, fair, fair enough. I mean, I think that you're, I think you're probably bang on on that. 
Like, I am like, I am both excited to see how the series ends and also so sad that there's only two episodes left. And then <laughs> I, know. I know that we talked about it earlier, at least I think we did on the podcast about how there is going to be a season two. But did we talk yeah. about did we talk about it here or as an aside that we were thinking that it would probably make sense if they brought back season two with like a different town and a different cast of characters? Yeah, I can't remember either. I know we've had that discussion whether it was online or offline, but exactly. It's hard to imagine it continuing. I mean, that's, I guess, hard to say before you've seen the culmination of how they're ending the series. But I know, I know we, I, at some point we've discussed the, risk of trying to continue with when you have such magic in a bottle and you have such a unique story premise how you keep that going mm-hmm. um i guess it depends on how much they resolve right because at the same time i would think i would be saddened to let this group of people go you know and like yeah. i you know on the one hand i think that it would be hard for them to maintain like you said i mean um i don't know like Will can't go missing again, you know, or like if if somebody else goes missing, they'll know how to find them if they solve the mystery or whatever. But um, but yeah, like I really love this group of characters, so I wouldn't, I wouldn't. Season two, yeah. L get becomes a normal human being and reignites herself so, into. But they're going for a different direction with that one, but. <laughs> Um, okay, so then here's my here's my last question. Okay, so if you were to like piece together what Jonathan and Nancy's plan looks like based on the shit they bought from the army surplus store, <laughs> what I know are they I doing? I was trying to think that I was I have no idea what that tank of like propane or whatever is for. Like it seems like a fire. Maybe they're gonna like they're gonna catch it like, in the bear trap and then set it on fire. That's an excellent one. <laughs> and what are they gonna use as just like a dead animal or something. I guess. Get a lace and then there. I agree. They're trying to catch it in the bear trap. I think that's a really good point. I, I think yes. I definitely know. think they are going to use a bloody, a bloody something, whether it's an animal or whatever, like as the yeah. bait. But then they have these like giant metal stakes. Yeah, that's right. I I don't know what those could be for. Is that what you use to put the bear trap into the ground? Oh yeah, probably. <laughs> I don't know about hunting. Uh, trapping um, being like a really horrific sounding thing. Unless you're trapping a monster, in which case I say go for go it. Go for it. Okay. So <laughs> bear trap, uh, bait, burning right. of monster. This is their plan. <laughs> all this makes me think of is <laughs> Bears Beats Battlestar Galactica from The Office. <laughs> yeah, the American yeah, one. But yeah, when you're like bears... <laughs> Burning bait. These are all the things that are part of their plan. Yeah. That's amazing. Okay, so we'll see we'll see how that works out too. But then okay, so then once they lure out once they lure out the monster and potentially kill it, then they're gonna like go through the tree trunk and try to find Will and Barb. Is that what you're well, thinking? Well, once you take this one scary monster out, then that uh, that plan yes. makes a lot of sense to me because there seems to only be one. Now, that may turn out to be a terrible, you know, decision because maybe there is more than one of these things. But yes, I I think they want to go in and search for them, but they right. don't want to come across the monster so, again. So like the yes. fact they want to lure it out and kill it makes a lot of sense. And then they can go and try and... But I mean, if the monster is opening and closing the portals, then 
that's a bit scary because what if the portal doesn't open again? You get stuck there. Oh, I don't know. Many questions, right? Jonathan and Nancy were able to hear each other, but I wonder if that's because they were close to a portal. Or could they lure Barb or Will to the safe place, right? Like, you can kind of communicate back and forth. Could they just, like, not have to leave their dimension and call to them? So, like, when Nancy called – sorry. But what do you think? Yeah. Okay. What do you think? So, when Barb was taken, it seemed as though – you know, there was that moment when she screamed Nancy's name and Nancy kind of paused, hesitated or something. Like, there seemed to be That's the potential right. that her, like, her voice was heard in in the right side up, you know? But maybe that's only the case when they're near a portal because Will, he had to speak to Joyce through the lights, you know, he right or through a phone. Do you think that Will was like literally in his house in the upside down, like dialing the telephone? Oh, maybe. I never thought of that. But then they're able to speak when he almost comes through the wall, which was an almost portal. Yes, I see your point there for sure. Um, yeah, so I don't know. I don't think that they would just be able to like go back to Steve's pool at any given time and like yell out and that and just talk to her. Yeah. Um, Yeah, I don't know. And then, like, I'm really interested to see, too, like, how everything converges, you know, because, like, as you mentioned, I really think that we're getting close to, you know, converging happening. So I definitely see, like, Nancy and Jonathan, um, they're the ones, um, I don't know, they're the ones dealing with the monster itself right now, obviously. Yeah, good point. And then... From, you know, by extension, potentially the ones who yeah. who are, might be going in after Barb and Will in some way. And then I think that we have Hopper and Joyce who are taking on the government slash, you know, like. Um, okay, but you not think that now they're going to go start working together yes. because now they're all in the same place? Like, as of the end, they're all in the police oh, station, right. and Jonathan hasn't had a chance to say it yet to his mom, like, hey, you were right, uh, and to show the pictures that go a long way to proving the existence of the monster, but, like, that's of going to happen. You're so, um, you're so and then right. it makes sense that they um, would be working together. Yeah, you're right, but, like, okay, so, like, I, I guess, um, you know, like... Even still, I guess if I'm, like, breaking down the way that everyone is approaching it at this point, right? So, like, we have Monster Covered with Jonathan and Nancy. We have the the government agency covered by Hopper. Yeah. And, you know, somewhat by, by Joyce, whatever. And then we have the portal itself. Yeah. Um, you know, that's going to be dealt with by Eleven and the boys. I feel like... Eleven and the boys might do Will and Portal, and then we'll have Jonathan right. and Nancy just take care of Creature and Barb. Creature Barb. And just yeah. doling, doling out the responsibilities. <laughs> okay, you get Barb, you get Will. Close the portal, kill the creature, take down government agency. Everyone's done. Everybody yeah. goes home. Except I still think that maybe Barb didn't make it. But I really hope that I am wrong. And Barb is alive and well. I really pool. think that Barb is going to, like, okay, so here's what I see happening potentially is that, like, they find Will and then everyone thinks, you know, our mission is over. And then, like, Barb <laughs> just comes, like, running out of the woods. Just. 
Okay, guys, if it's that like, is what happens, like, I quit podcasting forever, and I will just listen to Kim podcast, because that is the greatest theory ever. It's like, it's like the scene at the very end, everyone's, like, congratulating themselves, and everyone's like, but it's too bad about Barb, and then she's like, I'm here. It's just like, you guys, I'm here. <laughs> Poor Barb, always she, forgotten. That's right. Oh. She's like... You know, she's got no glasses on. She's been stumbling her way through the woods this whole time. Really, really plausible. I think that maybe what happens. I feel like that's my best theory yet. <laughs> I can't wait to see if that one comes true. My God, I wish I could see the, little, the next two, like, right now. Just to, like, see how accurate this truth Oh, uh, well, we'll have to wait a few more days. So we, um, we will be back with episode seven soon. We will. Uh, yep. And then, uh, and then, and then eight, and then we are done. We are done season one of Stranger Things. Uh, and. And thank you to our loyal listener to, for making yes. it through. Yes. Yes. This was two more so episodes far. and we will be capping off our first ever podcasting series. Yeah. That's right. Uh, <laughs> uh but. Of course, we will be back with The Walking Dead and maybe Westworld in uh, in the fall. Yes. So more more to come. Which I really think we should. Absolutely. And we uh, we appreciate everybody sticking by us while we learn the ins and outs or at least the basics of, uh, of podcasting. Yay. Especially as we go in depth in each of these episodes. So it's been a lot of fun, Kim. I really enjoy talking about this. Always. One. And uh, exactly. We will be back uh, soon with the okay. episode seven. Okay. Thanks, guys. Bye. Okay. Thanks. Bye.